And so, if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the unsearchable inheritance of Christ. Matthew 5, 45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. We've noted that this dominating with promise commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not acknowledge the power of the person sent by God over themselves have no part in the inheritance of this commandment and most likely will never be able to have it. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue that has come to power because of grace, and in part we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets in which we die by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing, doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life, so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the past law, but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4.13 We note that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, as it is written, and God believed Abraham, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And so our faith, obedience of our faith to God's faith, which is presented in the preached word of God sent, and the person who is a father from God to us. Our faith is obedience to the word of God, the information that comes from the mouth of God. These are not emotions. These are not feelings as something or think that if they feel something, that it's faith. Revelation comes uh, in knowledge. If a person receives a revelation, if it is written in the Word of God, then you need to say that it is written in the Word of God. This is not the faith of your heart. That You are just proclaiming God's Word, but not the faith of your heart, unless it is in your heart. If the Word of God is written upon your heart, and the Holy Spirit uh, took this and said, now you can proclaim these treasures that are within the treasury of your heart, then you need to begin to proclaim it. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men who are clothed or clothe themselves into the virtue of a student. This has allowed them to be obedient to God's order in accordance to which God sends us his word by the mouth of this delegated one. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which are the spoken words of God's delegated ones. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine 
examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God because the sons of God are only the sons of peace and have been studying the seventh sign by which we need to judge about our participation to the sons of peace and this is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God when we say holy love rarely do people understand what holy means which is why we need to always identify it explain it that it is selective holy is what separates the pure from impure holy from unholy and so selective love holy love when it comes to any kind of tolerance to all toward all men it has no part in that god has never loved everyone in general he loves his own children only his own children christ committed himself for his church to wash her with pure waters by his word so that she be holy and without blemish before him in love and so it cannot be that God loved the whole world and all people in general without checking and the Son of God only love His church. It's not possible because the Heavenly Father has loved those who believe in this world, not the world, but those who believe in this world. This was an in inaccurate uh, translation from the original that God so loved the world that anyone who believes in Him. If He loved the whole world, then why is anyone only who believes it be, is saved? The same apostle in this very book writes, do not love the world or what is in the world because all that's in the world is the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life, and it's not from the Father. But people pervert the truth. They pull out specific places in John 3.16. People preach to all men that God loves everyone in general. God loves loves those who love him and hates those who hate him and this place should have been ex uh, translated that God so loved the uh, those in the world those who believe in the world that he gave his only begotten son that anyone who believes in him will have everlasting life the world is condemned God hates the world who has rejected him he hates the unclean and lawless men amongst the nation of God that have resisted his truth saying that they have their own head and I myself will decide what is good and what is not good. He hates when his order, his the structure in the body of Christ is is broken. When people begin to vote for their own pastor, imagine for yourself when the inner organs made a decision. Let us uh, choose a different head. We don't like this head. You understand this is impossible that the inner organs would be doing this kind of thing. The outer organs also cannot do these things. Not the hands, eyes, ears not your sense of smell, are able to select a head for themselves. This is the order of the body, the structure of the body, theocracy, God's authority. An organization can be dead and can be living. We're talking about the structure. This is an organism that has organization. An organization an organization is not always an organism, but an organism always is 
an organization. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. We're talking about the love of God, agape, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3.14.15 We've noted that according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God, the holy love of God, will abide within our heart, and if we, in turn, will be clothed into the selective love of God. In the selective love of God, which is the atmosphere of the peace of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind, goals and works of God called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and between God and exclusively with his children. In scripture, the character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit. In scripture, by the preached word of the apostles and prophets in the form of seven unchanging elements. These are uh, unchanging uh, virtues. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance. And stop to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of its great godliness. <clears throat> and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 and we note that God has shown all of this in his great mystery through the church this is through the church he shows he was manifested in the flesh through the church you will say but we know there was no church there no through the church he was manifested in the flesh at that moment was the church of God was the nation of Israel. A church is a gathering of people that are chosen by God nation. And he was manifested in the flesh in this chosen nation. And by this chosen nation, he showed the world God's, God's love, the, uh, the love of God the Father. Even the angels in heaven do not know the wisdom of God fully, and in order to understand it fully, they can do this by our life, your and my life, only by seeing our life and our confessions. Every individual uh, face of a Christian is the many forms of God's wisdom that it be made, be made known to the principalities in heaven, and none of them have seen God physically, but they have the great privilege to see the children of God and you'll ask can our faces demonstrate God's face yes the face of our new person does demonstrate God's face our new person by nature is inherent to God's nature and is in the likeness of God not this physical face that we carry here in this carnal body but the face that we carry in, or we have in the, on the heavenly body and so in heaven in hell and on earth the name of God becomes known 
by his church, in his church, and through his church. Relevant to this fact, we came to the necessity to look at four classical questions. What characteristics do the scripture ascribe to the godliness of God and that of man? Second, because a person also is called to be godly, like his heavenly father. If you are children of God, then you will be godly, as God is godly. What purpose is godliness called to fulfill within the relationship of God with man and man with God? and also a man with all the world, what conditions do we need to fulfill in order to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God or activate with our godliness God's favor, God's godliness. And fourth, by what signs do we need to identify that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God? In a specific format, we already looked at the first three questions and two signs of question four by which we can determine that we collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God and we stop to look at the third sign. The third sign is by the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Psalm of David, Psalm 23, 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me beside the still waters. You know when you enter the service and everything is noisy and loud, these are not the still waters. These are actually the rebellious waters but not the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will no, not fear evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are the characteristics of a new person. Evidence of the fact that the Lord is our shepherd <coughs> in the given Psalm of David consists of four parts. The Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. The Lord leads me beside the still waters. The Lord restores my soul. The Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness. To examine yourself and weigh yourself upon the scale plates of righteousness on the fact that we possess the above listed components is to, is to be done by another four components which become evident when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will not fear evil, for God will be with us. His rod and his staff, they will comfort us. God will prepare a table before the presence of our enemies, and God will anoint our head with oil, and our cup will run over. Relevant to this, we've already looked at the first three forms of evidence by which we can judge or determine that the Lord is our shepherd within our heart which are evidence of the fact that the Lord is our shepherd, and stop to look at the fourth form of evidence, which states he leads us in the paths of righteousness. In Hebrew, the path of righteousness is the net of righteousness, ways of righteousness, or ways of the Lord, a furnace which cleans and or refines from foreign particles of the soul. Upon the path of righteousness, God will clean us from different foreign particles of the soul. It will be a furnace. The step of righteousness, feet of righteousness, a print of righteousness, 
growth, enlargement, and increase upon the paths of righteousness, being grafted to the body of Christ upon the paths of righteousness. We have noted that all of the elements that make up the meaning of the path of righteousness are dissolved in one the other, exist in one the other, support one the other, and identify the truthful nature or legitimacy of one the other. Today we will look <coughs> at the paths of righteousness in the format of the established ways of a man who ponders the path of his feet and does not turn to the left or to the right, but rather walks the paths of righteousness. Proverbs 4.26.27 Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your feet from evil because the ways of righteousness are observed by the Lord and the left are corrupt. He shall make your path straight and he shall make you walk in peace. Before we begin to study the conditions of how to ponder the path of our feet and how to make all our ways be established in order to remove our foot from evil and not turn to the right or to the left from the path of righteousness, we shall somewhat look at the reward for removing your foot from evil in the concluding phrases. He shall make your path straight and he shall make you walk in peace. According to this place of scripture, when we, w we talk about the journey upon the path of the Lord, the character of the walk of righteousness in growing the seed of the kingdom of heaven within the heart of a man, which is determined by specific behavior upon the path of righteousness, which is noticed by the increase of government upon the throne of David that has not no end within the kingdom of our body. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Here it's talking about <clears throat> the fact this is what happens within our body because the kingdom of heaven is within the boundaries of our body upon the condition that we are a partaker of the body of Christ which is the sovereign kingdom of the Lord on earth as ambassadors in a different country represent the country they came from the church on earth demonstrates their ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven and demonstrate represent the kingdom of heaven they are the territory of the kingdom of heaven not the entire earth because it will be destroyed but only the church all people are not the territory of the kingdom of heaven but only the church and every individual person if he is a partaker of the or he's an organic member of the body of Christ the birth of the kingdom of heaven within our body happens from the imperishable seed of the word of God when the soil of our heart is prepared for listening to the preached word. Just as the kingdom of heaven is located within the boundaries of the house of God, a combination of three different powerful realms, the heights of the heavens, the sanctuary, which is the chosen by God remnant, and the body of a person that has a humble and contrite spirit. Also in the three aspects of a person's essence, there's a combination of three thrones of David that was 
within our body fulfill different purposes but pursue the same goal. This is adopting our body by the redemption of Christ because all kingdom needs a, a throne that seats a king that will rule this nation, this kingdom. The throne of David is the spirit of a man. The throne of David in the spirit of a man is the conscience that is cleansed from dead works with them printed upon its tablets truth of the elementary teachings of Christ. People uh, sometimes perform works of sanctification but it's only in part because as soon as they cleanse their heart but they have not imprinted upon this clean heart the elementary principles teaching of Jesus the devil returns because they cleanse themselves from him they have become holy he returns and sees that the house is cleaned out but nobody's living there there's no master in the house there may be a master the intellect of a man but for devil the intellect of a man is his tool he comes and says oh here's my tool my there's no Holy Spirit there's no master he is not invited invited here he enters Jesus spoke this parable and for this person it becomes worse their state than the one they were in previously when they with their encounters that have nothing to do with sanctification and never will have anything to do with sanctification. Within the span of three days, they so they say this is a so-called sanctification they perform, and the devil then takes control. He takes control as a religious spirit, giving them revelations that, that pulls out specific places of scripture, and based upon these places, they, they present new ideas that then bring forth people into a euphoria or uh, as a feel of euphoria and direct them to goals that God did not place. They say you have goals of evangelism, doing uh, good work and other things that are not placed by God. These have never been our goal. These are results, but not goals. Our goal has always been to save our soul. What good is it for a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Our goal is to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ, to erect within our body the throne of David, to, to erect within our spirit the throne of David, to erect in our soul the throne of David. This is our goal. But of course, the devil will do everything possible and the services will be very noisy they'll be very noisy that they're uh, squawking and all kinds of different noises that they may make uh, will be uh, perceived as works of the Holy Spirit I've seen in these services can you in the name of Jesus start howling at the moon as a as a wolf and they begin to howl and everyone's shouting hallelujah and saying thank you Jesus can you as a as a dog uh, began to behave like a dog and people begin to think that this is some kind of supernatural work uh, of the Holy Spirit. People do not have in their heart the truth that would be able to show that this is a lie. This in Scripture does not exist. And so if your conscience is cleansed and but it does not have the imprinted uh, teaching of Christ that we can receive by being instructed in the faith from a person that is placed by God he is the uh, reader the one that is the reader is only one there can't usually be two in a service 
only one, and others are the hearers, the ones that hear, the ones that listen. The waters. The one that reads is a person that God places as apostle and uh, reveals the, to these prophets, to these apostles, the word. He opens up the word, and the Holy Spirit reveals the meaning of the word that he's reading. The rest in the same spirit receive this meaning. Apostle John was turning and spoke, uh, he turned and spoke to the seven angels of the seven churches. Each one each one of the uh, churches, they consisted of thousands of other churches in that very place. And there was usually one individual, one person, one pastor who was ahead of these churches. And John says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, not seven churches to John say what, how, and reveals what God says, but John reveals to them what God has revealed to him. And he reveals to them, and he says, blessed is the reader in, as in the form of one, and blessed is the one who hears and fulfills the truth. Blessed is the one that hears and fulfills what they hear. And so there can only be one reader. And when people don't have that knowledge, they don't have the throne of David in their spirit. The throne of David in the soul of a person is the mind renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ within our spirit. The throne of David in the body of a person is a pure mouth that is confessing the faith of God abiding within the heart. Now that we are familiar with the reward that God gives us, He shall make our path straight and our walk shall be in peace. We shall look at the conditions that, when fulfilled, will provide God legitimate grounds to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ, or He shall make our walk or journey peaceful. And these demands consist of two conditions. This is to ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established, which will give us wisdom and strength to not turn to the right or to the left and remove our foot from evil. The first condition, how do we ponder the path of our feet so that we can provide God legitimate grounds to make our path straight and our walk in developing the kingdom of heaven within our heart peaceful? The phrase, ponder the path of your feet, indicates the fact that before we begin our walk, it is necessary to examine and be convinced in the direction of our walk, how much it corresponds to the placed for us by God goal. In this given proverb, the word path in Hebrew means road, alley, trail, from the wheels of a chariot. At the same time, the phrase ponder the path of your feet, the verb ponder in Hebrew means straighten out your path for your foot, examine to make sure it is in accordance to the original goal, observe the movement of the Holy Spirit within your heart, and look into or study the direction to the goal. Number what is for the possession or to achieve the goal and weigh the abilities that you have in order to obtain the goal. According, accordingly, we conclude that in order to ponder the path of your feet, in order to follow the trail of the left from the wheels of the chariot, upon practice this means pay 
that ask for price for the right to be a student of Jesus. Again, the chariot <coughs> passed by and left uh, a trail. <coughs> And so again, when you go upon a, you go out onto a road, you begin to study the path, the way, the the trail. There are many chariots that may pass by, and each one is different from one the other. <coughs> and upon practice, this means pay to understand how to pay the asked uh, pay the asked price for the right to be student of Jesus in order to follow his footsteps to the goal that is placed for us by God in order to achieve the resurrection of Christ within your body in the form of the stronghold of life following the footsteps of Christ who walks ahead of us forms a legitimate relationship of a person with God the process of pondering the path of your feet as well as is well illustrated in one of the parables of Christ that we are familiar with but I will remind us of it what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace so likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple Luke 14 31 through 33 in a given parable the relationship of two kings is the relationship of two sovereign individuals that rule over themselves one of these individuals symbolizes Christ and the other person a person who seeks the right to be a student of Christ according to the norms of scripture a student is a follower of a teaching of his teacher one using or applying the instruction of his teacher first to be a student a person in literal sense was obligated to leave everything and follow his teacher wherever he may go and second a student received the right to serve his teacher that in all times was considered to be a great privilege if a person does not serve his teacher then he is not able to learn anything from him practically to be a student means to commit yourself to voluntary servitude to your teacher. Because of such a relationship between a student and a teacher, there was a development and formation of a very deep, close, and unique relationship similar to a loving and caring father and his loving son, zealously serving his father and pursuing the interests of his father. This is why in scripture a student often was called or student often called his teacher a father and the teacher calls his student a son because of this a student while the teacher was alive shared with him his destiny and often took the role of his teacher or presented his interests when the teacher would die then all of the virtue position and status by right passed on to the student and so the service of the uh, student was the price for learning and this is the way in which the student would achieve or that goal that he had Jesus in this parable uh, symbolically uh, in this parable Jesus is the one with 20,000 and the person with 10,000 the first relationship that we could see 
is as if in conflict or one that is pursuing each their individual goal and their own individual interest, which is why between them there is a conflict. Jesus as king that goes forth with his 20,000 wants to rule uh, over the one that wants the right wants the right or desires the right to be a student presents himself with these 10,000 and so the one that has the 10,000 thinking about the situation and makes then the right decision and sends an ambassador of peace the ambassador of peace is then makes the decision to deny everything he has and gives himself and all of his power to the king that has more power. This is the second condition that makes all of our ways established in order to give God the proper basis to make our ways straight and to make our, our walk peaceful. And so Jesus will never uh, attempt to take uh, or rule over what does not belong to him by right. The one that desires to be a student in this parable he wanted to follow him and not change his own priorities but once he thought, thought it through that's why there was an initial conflict the number 10 is directly linked to the law of Moses or hope upon your flesh at the same time the number 20 with grace of the Lord Jesus Christ you remember that people that were 20 years and older and so anyone who was up to 20 years old were not punished in the wilderness and those were 20 and older or over 20 years old were punished people who came out of Egypt and fell they were the, born in Egypt they knew the taste of, of garlic, meat uh, onion and melons and they in the wilderness constantly suffered and they began to hate the manna that was from heaven and those people born in the wilderness that were uh, up to 20 years old they 20 years were already wandering they were born in the wilderness and except for manna they knew nothing else and they had no desire to taste uh, the melons the garlic the onions they looked at their parents with surprise why they're suffering what a wonderful food that we eat we know the wilderness is a symbol of sanctification we talked about this and they sanctified themselves how did they sanctify themselves? They sanctified themselves by coming out. They separated, but they took Egypt with them. Their heart was not cleansed from dead works. There, in their heart, they still had the desire for this food. They did not die for themselves. But these children did, and so 20 is a number of God's grace. This is a symbol of the new person that does not sin, a person that absolutely is not interested in how much money you may have in your wallet. He's interested in one thing, what kind of faith you have, what potential of faith you have, what your relationship with God is. His food is meditating about the Word of God and worshiping God and nothing else. Which is why he absolutely is not worried about the clothing that you have or what houses you live in, what cars you drive, or what food that you eat. How much you have in your bank account or how many accounts you have in general. He's not interested in any of these things because his food is different, his priority is different. 
And so here he is presented as a student. He is a student, but when he brought forth his tithes, he thought that the heavens will open up and he will be blessed uh, with materialistic things and God Christ showed uh, that there was a conflict for that very reason when you bring your tithe you expect that God will materialistically bless you of course God is not against materialistic prosperity or blessing but he uh, he says this is his prerogative not ours ours is to seek the kingdom of heaven in his righteousness and his power and God's prerogative is to clothe us and nourish us as he finds need. We need to understand that 10 is hope upon the flesh, everything that comes from the flesh, and to not deny everything we have in order to be a student of the Lord is to change your behavior toward all things in this life and place them upon a list of your priorities when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, secondary. And so our ambassador that will speak before Christ in our favor will be the price for learning that is receiving the right position when it comes to the kingdom of heaven and his power for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit Romans 14 17 the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit all comes from righteousness Obedience, righteousness, obedience to the faith of God, information of God that comes from the preached word. And when we believe this information, this is righteousness. And this righteousness gives the opportunity to have the peace of God and joy in the Holy Spirit. The price for learning is to seek and receive upon God's conditions the promise of the Holy Spirit that is called to present within our born spirit and in our soul and in our body the kingdom of God and His power in the form of the stronghold of life. In Hebrew, the steps of righteousness we're talking it symbol uh, it compares it to the leaven uh, the kingdom of heaven is in the likeness of leaven and so we're talking about step is leaven a seed a walk a way growth increase and grafting we will look within our essence the character of the steps of righteousness as this leaven as in the parable of this leaven Matthew 13 33 another parable he spoke to them the kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened Matthew 13 33 this is not the kingdom of Satan this is kingdom of heaven because I remember how when I preach this truth, they people try to prove to me, You're, what are you saying? Because they say leaven is sin, because I said leaven is the kingdom of heaven. But here it is written that leaven is sin, I agree. The line from the tribe of Judah, and the righteous, it says, uh, is bold as a lion. And so the same lion presents one symbol and another a different symbol. Same thing here. One leaven uh, demonstrated uh, the blemish and blemishes and sin, and the other the kingdom of heaven. You need to understand why a person can be so one-sided. You see only from one angle and refuse to agree with anything else. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It says it directly, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. 
We need to make note that in this par uh, parable, the woman that had taken the leaven of the kingdom of heaven and put it into these three measures of meal is the spirit, soul, and body until these three were leavened, the leaven of the kingdom of heaven, that is the elementary principles of Christ, was placed into the lump that was mixed in three measures of flour. If here on earth our body, for whatever reason, will not have anything to do with the leaven of the kingdom of heaven, then that means we made the decision to receive a foreign teaching that has nothing to do with the teaching of the kingdom of heaven. The leaven of the kingdom of heaven needs to uh, leaven the spirit, soul, and body, the body also, and when it will, we will be carriers of the heavenly body. If the leaven will be in every aspect of ourselves. We, again, receive the seed, we establish it, we confirm it with the confessions of our mouth, and only then does it begin to grow into fruit, and we begin to confess it in the form of the fruit of our mouth. And God then takes this confession and adopts our body. If you paid attention, then these words as leaven, seed, pathway, they find themselves in one or the other as they have uh, the same characteristic and same atmosphere. In scripture, the essence of these words is the kingdom of heaven that comes out of the mouth of God from by his delegated ones. For all of the promises of God are in him are yes and in his amen to the glory of God through us. Here it's talking about the apostles, apostles, not <clears throat> anyone in general. When it says through us, this, he is talking about the apostles. When it says go to the whole world and preach the gospel, this was for the apostles. Only apostles can do this. It was we're called to do this, and when God calls somebody. To do this kind of work, he makes them an apostle first. Just any simple person cannot be sent by God to do that work, to speak the gospel in other countries. He needs to become a light for this reason. And we know that many pastors are people of the flesh, simple people, and people of the flesh. And there are in church some spiritual people, but in these spiritual these uh, uh, spiritual people are just a problem uh, for these people of the flesh. They can't get rid of them, but they're always finding ways to put them down by their holy form of life literally and makes them uncalm. They don't understand as they understand. As I said to you before, reading the place of scripture, fornicators, drunkards, and so forth, do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's written. People run to the pastor, the, the members, who the, the pastor gave me a word in that church I was in. We caught him. He's a heretic. This pastor says, in what? Is he a heretic? He said that the drunkards and fornicators are the same thing and they inherit the same thing. Uh, they, they inherit destruction and damnation. And he said, yeah, but he didn't say he understood this way. He read what was in the Bible. But they said, but we don't understand that way as it is written. We don't understand that 
drunkards inherit damnation. We understand that you can drink little by little bit at a time. That this pastor also drank wine for himself. He told me this story. And he said, I never met such idiots in his words. They came to me and said, you're a heretic, that you as if read a place of scripture, that you're heretic, that we don't understand it this way. And I said, what does this have to do with us understanding? That's what it's written. And although I drink wine for myself, I know that it's sin. I know that we're not supposed to be drinking it. And so that's how people understand. They, they, they choose the things that are not beneficial for them and say, well, we don't understand it like this. What does this have to do with what you understand or don't understand in your own opinion? When you stand before the Lord, you're, are you going to say, Lord, we don't didn't decide not to understand it like that. And so for this reason, you're going to go to hell. How? But with your name, we taught other people. We perform many miracles. We rebuke demons. And in your streets, you in our streets, you taught you taught us. I never taught in your streets because I only have one street that I teach upon. And if you read the scriptures, there's one street in Jerusalem. There's not a lot of streets. There's the river of life goes there, and there's trees on both sides of the of that of that river that bears fruit. As a day upon these uh, streets, and so he says, "I never knew. I never knew you. Uh, depart from me." And so the symbol of this woman, as she is a gather, as she demonstrates the bride of, of the Lamb, that is a chosen by God remnant, with together with the person who is a father of God. This leaven can be a symbol of reigning sin in a person that is received by a person in the format of a deceptive form of teaching. And so this leaven of evil will leaven the entire lump. The spirit, soul, and body, and the person will perish. But also a symbol of the kingdom of heaven that is received by a person in the format of two godly uh, authorities, the truth of the elementary principles of Christ and the Holy Spirit that reveals this truth in the heart. Here's what Apostle Paul says about this. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, so that you be pure so that we can put a different leaven there. For indeed Christ, our Passover was a sacrifice for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. The leaven of the kingdom of heaven, opposite to the leaven of curse and destruction, is Pesach in the form of Christ that was uh, crucified for us in order to cleanse us so that we can be a new lump, so we can receive the leaven of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are 
are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not putting their trespasses to them and has committed to, to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17-21 In a specific format, we looked at four forms of evidence of the fact that the Lord is our, our shepherd, and we will now look at the other four signs that confirm the previous four that we've studied, where the Holy Spirit leads us to the valley of the shadow of death. The time of walking through the valley of the shadow of death is a time of casting off of yourself the garments of the old person when we consider ourselves dead to sin living for God and proclaim the not existent as existent and so the first sign first result when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death upon which we are called to judge that the Lord is our pastor will consist in us not fearing evil for God will be with us which upon practice means that at the time of casting off the old man from ourselves with his deeds God will begin to tend us and when God tends us then he as a shepherd that tends his flocks will walk ahead of us when we cast off the old man with his deeds he will walk ahead of us first God in the form of our pastor our shepherd will be the first to uh, be greeted with the evil that may come and will deliver us from this evil and God will show to us an example that we need to follow but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by by name and leads them out and when he brings out his own sheep he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice yet they will no, by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of a stranger John 10, 2 through 5. And so the doorkeeper is the Holy Spirit that enters into our into our spirit as the Lord and Master of our life to reveal the mystery of us being built into a house of God. How to build your spirit, soul, and body into a house of God. From this we conclude that the category of the infants and people of the flesh that are not able to differentiate good and evil and do not know how to refuse the evil and choose the good don't have in themselves the Holy Spirit although they're baptized by the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues. And furthermore, if this category by being instructed in the faith will not cleanse our conscience from dead works, they will transform from uh, sheep into wolves that will destroy the flock, just as the cherubim on high had been transformed into Satan. <clears throat> Examining yourself that when you're casting off the old man with his deeds, we will not fear evil, for God will be with us. He will be walking ahead of us is by our own rod. God will tend us. He will f walk ahead of us with his rod. We will need 
uh, we following uh, the person that is ahead of us and the, uh, the authority that we acknowledge and seeing how much he's in accordance to the truth. <coughs> In order to be protected from any evil, we need to examine the person that whom you follow, whether this person follows God or not, how much he is in accordance to the demands of a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, <coughs> sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. John 10, 11 through 15. And so the mandate of a father of God that Jesus was given he then passed on to his apostles so that they can tend his flocks and deliver them from evil. Therefore, people who do not acknowledge within their time, specifically in their time, in their midst, the authority of the apostle of Christ and select for themselves teachers that would be able to deceive their uncircumcised ears, they're being tended not by a good pastor but a hireling that does not walk ahead but behind them and he does not have any intention to protect them. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Genesis 48, 15-16. When we speak the words evil, we don't always fully understand what evil is by nature in its essence and from what wellspring it comes. Who is the wellspring of evil? Who stands behind this evil? Who supports this evil? Or how did evil become? If God, due to his absolute authority and his omnipresence, would fill with himself, fills with himself, eternity, the unseen, visible and invisible universe, and the good that us is God himself. It is endless and without limit. It has no beginning or end. Evil that the fallen cherubim is, he is not this way because evil in the form of the devil has its beginning. And so to be in the likeness of God and his goodness is impossible for him. The devil as his beginning, he, and so confrontation with evil the e uh, between evil and good, uh, we know that in the uh, good will be victorious at the end because that is what God is. And so when an archangel, a cherubim on high, decided in his heart to be in the likeness of, of the Most High, he uh, just thought in his heart, he was cast from heaven and... and 
how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. God, having a countless amount of abilities, and because of his unchanging nature, he is sovereign. He created angels with uh, wise abilities who have also sovereignty, that is, making the right decision or to obey or disobey, or to make a right decision or to obey or not or disobey. And when God created man by his image and his likeness, then a person also was created by him with wise abilities and given sovereignty, that is, to decide good for, uh, from evil or obedience and disobedience, obeying God's commandments and or disobeying them. And so from the time of the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden, our planet Earth and all of the growing growth of the earth and all people who live upon it, including all of the animal kingdom, unfortunately, were impacted by this evil. Therefore, evil is what is opposite of good and isn't the antonym of good. Evil is jealousy, a catch, pride, hatred, trickery, unfaithfulness, rebellion, a misfortune, an unfortunate event, sin, something that is forsaken, something that is worthless, useless when it comes to man, one has received the program of evil, devious, one that is resistant of the truth, is the very incarnation and atmosphere of hell. And if good is a program of the Most High, the program of that is God Himself, evil is a program of the fallen cherubim, the program which is the fallen cherubim Himself. And so these opposite of one the other programs so that they would be able to demonstrate themselves that it's necessary to have a programmable system that is angels and men to be a programmable system of the most high or the fallen cherubim is for the from the beginning to the end is the sovereign choice of a person we need to remember that evil in scripture is all thoughts words and acts the wellspring of which are not God at the same time good in scripture is identified as all thoughts words and acts the wellspring of which is God Therefore, if we were not taught how we, to, we need to be nourished with curds and honey th that is in the seed of the preached word that is given to us, offered to us from the person that has that is a father of God to us, we will not have any ability or understanding of how to do, uh, refuse the evil and choose the good. He, curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. It's talking about Christ, Isaiah 7.15. In other words, in, our, in order to understand how to refuse the evil and choose the good, we first need to cast off the old man with his deeds as it is written, therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That doesn't mean be children, but love this pure milk of the word 
uh, as an infant loves the milk, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5. Considering that the root of all evil is love for money or dependence from money, at the same time the root of all good is identified as ruling or authority over money, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy 6, 9, 10. The desire to become rich and the desire to know God are two contrary to each other things. We become, uh, we accept the one that we choose, we select. God can uh, protect us from evil when our decision is the one that is God's. I will bring forth uh, some of them. In order to, for God to receive the proper basis to protect us from evil, it is necessary for us to have a conduct that is without covetousness. Hebrews 13, 5, 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear of what can man do to me. The role of God as our helper is that if we fulfill our role, which uh, consists in being content with what God has allowed us to have. He receives the proper basis to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ. <clears throat> in order to provide God proper basis to keep us from evil, it is necessary to call, call to Him for help. Psalm 56, 9 uh, through 11. When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. <clears throat> in God, I will praise His word. In the Lord, I will praise His word. In God, I have put my my trusts. <clears throat> I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Until we, with thanksgiving, uh, reveal before Him what our needs are, we will not have. He will not have any proper basis to help us. And so, when we ask for God, uh, for God's help, in order to resist the demonic prince Mammon, God will then, as our helper, receive the proper uh, basis to uh, stand on our side. And God will then uh, stand uh, for us, with us. And, however, if we make the decision to become rich, which is the root of all evil, then God will then stand against us in that situation. In order to provide God proper grounds to keep us from evil, it is necessary to not be afraid of the mockery of men and persecution of men. Isaiah 51, 7, 8. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. 
And so this law can be placed in the heart by being instructed in the faith. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Isaiah 51, 7, 8. Here it's talking about not people of the world, but people that are amongst the nation of God, that due to their jealousy that is concealed with zeal to God, actually reproach us and you need not be afraid of them and that is upon one condition can happen if we fear God having the fear of the Lord within our heart is identified by the given law of God that is imprinted upon our heart the fear of the Lord within our heart gives God proper grounds to turn the words of our enemies into this moth and this worm Fourth, in order to provide God proper grounds, in order to protect us from evil, it is necessary not be afraid of the things that fleshly men are afraid of, but honor God sincerely, because He is our fear and He is our, he is our dread. Isaiah 8, 9-13, through 13, Be shattered, O you people, and be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of the people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of, the th- of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord is of hosts, him you shall hallow, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. According to this place of scripture, we conclude that again, it's not talking about the people of the world, but people that are amongst the nation of God, that are more afraid of uh, scare, uh, fearful prophecies or or uh, other uh, information uh, the Masons and other uh, so-called leaders that may uh, be preparing the that are preparing uh, an atmosphere for the coming Antichrist and so again we again will pay attention to the fact that when we're talking about these things we need to prepare ourselves for the adoption of our body with the redemption of Christ to honor God means to to take out of your treasury which is the house of prayer or to bring into the treasury as uh, the house of prayer your tithes and your offerings pursuing the goal of getting to know God and his revelations and his will 1 Peter 3, 9 through 14, not returning evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do, and do good. Let him seek 
peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? And again, it's not talking about people of the world, but people within the nation of God that do not refrain their uh, tongue from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. They do not turn away from evil and do not do good and let and they do not seek peace and pursue it. Sixth, in order to provide God proper grounds to keep us from evil, it is necessary to not be afraid of those who kill the body, but fear the one that can affect the soul. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that you can, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold? for two copper pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God but the very air of their head, hair of their head are all numbered do not fear therefore you are of more value than many sparrows also I say to you whoever confesses me before men him the son of man also will confess before the angels of God but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God Luke 12 4 through 9 do not be afraid of men who kill the body for the faithfulness that we confess it is necessary to be afraid rather of the one that can affect the soul. In order to provi provide God proper grounds to keep us from evil, it is necessary to rejoice and be glad about who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and who we are to God in Jesus Christ. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. It's important that when God gives his rain, he gives in measure. If it's not given in faithfully or in measure, it begins to destroy. <coughs> the former rain and the latter rain in the first month, the threshing floor shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts had eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am the, in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Joe Joel 2.23-27 in this prophecy <coughs> which is a commandment presented in a form of an allegory we see here <coughs> it's not the joy of earth uh, but an unearthly type of joy that could be the fruits of our spirit that is growing in the, in the good soil of our heart because of the preached word or the preached seed of the word of the kingdom of heaven even in laughter the heart may sorrow and the end of mirth may be grief Proverbs 14.13 the fruit of this unearthly joy is called to uh, reveal itself not in some kind of uplifted mood but the discipline of the mind and heart that 
can uh, demonstrate itself in love for righteousness, hate, uh, and hate for lawlessness, where our emotional aspect would be independence of fulfilling the discipline of the commandments of the Lord. That is what joy is. Joy in the Lord <coughs> is to love righteousness and hate lawlessness. You love righteousness and hate wickedness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Psalm 45, 7. The absence in the heart of unearthly joy in the fruits of our spirit that would be able to be demonstrated in the acts of love for righteousness and hatred toward lawlessness will not be able to provide God proper grounds to send rain timely for us the uh, early and latter and also will not be able to provide God proper grounds to protect us from evil and protect us from the old person with his deeds that are supported by organized powers of darkness. Amen. Let us pray and let us bend our knees and pray and may the Lord bless us and all those who desire to resist all dependence, all sin, whatever it may be, the deception of the devil that tells you that nothing will work for you. Everything will work for you. He is, he, the devil is the father of lies. Begin to believe and trust and confess your hope and God will be on your side. He loves you. He is ready to right now deliver you from all nature of evil. Break any shackles or chains. Destroy them. Renew your heart and pour his peace, his God's peace, his joy into your heart. Amen. We wait for you. I am going to be praying your prayer and I ask you that God that you believe that God is for you close your eyes this is your secret room lift your hands to God this is a sign that you're ready to receive from God all that he desires and he's prepared to give you Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ I come to you 
I open up my heart. You see my shame. You see my pain. You see my sin. I hate it. I want to be free from it, from these lusts, these ambitions in my living within my body. I want to be free. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, protect me. I accept your words into my heart, the words of liberty, the words of forgiveness, and the words of justification, the word of healing. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they will not touch you. May upon you all the blessings of the ancient mountains and everlasting hills be on you. May the Lord do his good work for you, and may the stronghold of death be destroyed in your body and upon its place. May the stronghold of life be erected. May all this be happen upon you and your children and be fulfilled upon you and the nation shall say, Amen. Blessed is the Lord who upon every service gives us a new chance. He loves to forgive. And every time when he forgives, he casts our sins into hell and never remembers them again. And he perfectly understands that we can overcome and one day this old person living in our body will be destroyed and you will be filled with a full measure of peace and freedom. And even now we need to proclaim this not existent as existent so that God can do this work, this promise for us. Finishing our service, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.